Church, open your Bibles. This morning, we are going to be in 1 Kings chapter 11. And you know that last week we started a brand new sermon series. I have entitled that sermon series with one single word, Allegiance. And we've chosen that sermon series because it's one of the traits of a maturing disciple. And it's the one that we're leaning into as a congregation this uh, year. Uh, Allegiance means loyalty. It means devotion. It means a willingness to place God first, even above our own appetites or desires. And if you recall last week, we started into the series and I said, you're going to get four snapshots of what allegiance looks like. And two of those are going to be positive. Two of those are going to be negative. And we had the first positive aspect of allegiance or the exercise of allegiance last week. And it was the story of Abraham and the sacrifice of his son, Isaac. Now, you remember, I called that last week the almost sacrifice of Isaac because Isaac, well, he was never dead. Uh, A ram was provided, which was a substitute, and that's what Abraham and his son offered to God, and that's what God had provided. Here's the point. Last week, Abraham passed the test. Uh, He was tested, and many times we are too for our allegiance, and Abraham passed that test, and he did so with flying colors. And last week, this test revealed the true nature of his allegiance. Uh, We learned that oftentimes when God tests us, there's also an aspect of our allegiance which is being tested. For instance, uh, are we more committed to God than we are to our own children or to our work? Are we more committed in allegiance to God than to our bank account or the things that we own? Are we more committed in our allegiance to His success rather than our own success or to the success of the kingdom of God more than we are to whatever uh, empire we're trying to create? Last week, Abraham passed that test, and he's a shining example of what allegiance looks like when it's practiced well. This week, the opposite. The topic or the subject of the story this week, which is Solomon, is one who fails miserably, and today we're going to study the last few years of his life, and we're going to be picking up today in 1 Kings chapter 11, and I'm going to be reading starting in verse 1. This is what the passage says. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Mosquito Bite, Sidonian and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart After their gods, Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God." as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did uh, what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, 
the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. Lord, we ask you to lead us this morning as we explore Solomon and the example that he gives to us of what happens when our hearts become divided. We, Lord, want to take this in. We want, Holy Spirit, for you to explore our own lives and our own souls in order that if anything be found that's out of, uh, out of uh, the truth, that it would be corrected and that we would be following in your path. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There's one word. I emphasized it repeatedly. And that word that kept on jumping off the page five times was heart. And uh, it says that several times that Solomon turned away his heart from the Lord. Solomon had a divided heart. And as a result of his divided heart, he was uh, following after these foreign wives or these foreign women. And ultimately, because of his divided heart, he had a divided allegiance to God. And that's what always happens. It always works that way. When our hearts are divided, then they are unable to sustain allegiance and devotion to God. A divided heart never works. Let me give you an example of something else that's divided that traditionally in the past did not work. Some of you are old enough to remember that there used to be smoking on airplanes. Raise your hand if you remember that. Yeah, a bunch of people here remember that. You youngins don't remember that, but that's okay. We're going to tell you about it. There used to be smoking on the airplanes, and it was very interesting because in 1973, it took a long time, but it was finally recognized that everybody who was on the plane didn't want to smoke, so this was their solution. They said, we'll create a non-smoking section of the plane and a smoking section of the plane. And you remember how that worked. If I was in row nine and it was a non-smoking section, which my family always traveled in that section, and in 10 was the smoking section, well, you might understand what happened. We were all smoking, right? I mean, that's basically what transpired because it was very difficult to keep the smoke away from one section to the other. Believe it or not, it was not until 1977 that pipes and cigars were banned on airplanes. It wasn't until 1990 in which airplanes that traveled less than six hours couldn't have any smoking. So the thought was that if the plane flight was longer than six hours, people might be having nicotine withdrawal, so we needed to let them go smoke. Even the pilots were like, what are we going to do if we have a pilot that goes into meltdown? We don't want that. So anyway, that was the thought, and it wasn't until 1995 that Delta Airlines became the airlines that banned smoking worldwide on all of their flights, and many of the airlines took, uh, took their, their lead and, and followed along in the years after that. Some things cannot be divided. Our hearts and our allegiance are two of those. Today's passage acts as a warning to us, and it is a warning of what happens when our hearts become divided. The passage today acts like a chronology, so it's a series of steps or it's a series of episodes in in Solomon's life. And these successive steps show us what it means to have a heart that becomes divided. Let's follow along as we learn about Solomon and his heart is divided and therefore his allegiance is sacrificed uh, through the steps that we're going to see that are revealed here today. All right, the first step that happens in a divided heart is a small accommodation. 
it always starts with something that is small or seems very insignificant. Now, I know 1,000 wives does not seem small, and it does not seem insignificant. I resonate today with a comedian who says, I only have one wife because that's all I can handle. And, you know, that's very true of me. I mean, I can't even fathom the complications in life of a family that has a thousand women that are married to one guy. I, 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 can't even, I can't even fathom what that would be like. But tucked into this passage, there is a little clue about what the first step of accommodation was all about. And this is it. It's found in verse 1. Solomon married the daughter of Pharaoh. It's right there in verse 1. And, uh, you know, he's, til- he's, he's looking back. He, he's turning back the, the story here. And he's saying, I want to bring you up to speed because he married all these women. But it started with one woman. And it's all the way back in chapter 3 of 1 Kings in which we find out that he does that. I put that up on the screen for us today. 1 Kings cha- chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, the other one. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. So here's what happened. He married one foreign wife, which was the daughter of Pharaoh. And the idea there was that he was like, you know, hey, this is an important political alliance. I'm going to solidify that more on that in just a minute. But we know that this is not God's will for Solomon all the way back in the law that was given from uh, God to Moses. And in the law, it says, I don't want you to marry the foreign women because they will bring foreign gods into your uh, worship and into your practice. And I don't want you to do that. Solomon likely thought, just one, it won't really matter. It's for expediency. And so just this one time, we'll do that. Now, you might think that the marriage itself was just what was the issue, but anytime we're in a marriage relationship, there is a relationship that is formed, and that relationship is going to have things that are required or things that are expected in it. And so what happens next, likely, it's not, we don't told in the passage, but we can imagine this happened with Solomon, is that his wife said, you know, hey, we're married now, and so there's some things about me you need to know, and there's some things that we need to do together. It probably went something like this. Honey, you love me, right? I know you do. And honey, you, you know, you love to pray. I, I've seen that about you. And so I just want to pray with you. So would you come to my room, and we'll pray tonight. And well, I'm remembering home. And so there's this Nile God. And we're going to pray to the Nile God just, just in, in deference to my folks back home because we want to support them too. And when you come, we'll just light that one little candle to the Nile God. It, you know, it, it doesn't really mean that much, but boy, it would mean so much to me, sweetie. And so Solomon, come, to, come and, and let's worship together tonight. That's probably the way that it went down was something very similar to that. And so the hook was set. Solomon was compromised. And I say a small accommodation, but let's face it, what the Bible calls that is sin. Anytime, small or big, we do anything that disobeys God, that is sin. Most of us don't need to worry about marrying the husband or, uh, or a spouse, rather, of somebody that is from an Egyptian uh, royalty. I mean, most of us don't have to worry about that. So we're like, how does this passage really relate to me? Well, believe it or not, I think this passage does relate to us, especially as it comes to marriage. And what the passage is telling us today is, 
beware of marrying somebody outside of the faith. And that's something that's even commanded to us in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? And so there's this warning, warning, warning. Don't marry somebody who doesn't know the Lord because that will be caustic to your faith. Now again, one of two things could happen. You marry somebody that's outside the faith and either they try to drag you into the way that they worship or, and I think this is more likely because I've seen this happen more often, it's more likely that they just have you stop practicing your devotion, your worship of God because they want to kind of create this neutral territory as it were. But in any event, what happens in the midst of that is that small accommodation begins to have an eroding effect upon your faith And that's what happens. That's the first step in a progression. Remember, I said we're going to cover several steps here, but that's the first one, is that it normally begins with something that seems so small, so innocent. And for Solomon, it was the marriage to uh, the the, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, and that became his first uh, wife, or at least his first foreign wife. All right. The second always happens, the second step, and this always happened, there is a justification After the small accommodation, there is a justification, and the justification is our reason why. It's the story that we tell ourselves. And so in Solomon's case, his reason or his justification was for political reasons. And we oftentimes miss this as a modern audience, that in the old world, there were all of these political alliances And when you were getting ready to sign a treaty with another country, the way you often did that was by trading one of your daughters to go to that other country, and then you would do the same. And so Solomon received these wives from all these countries in which he signed treaties. And here's the thought. You would think twice about invading that other country if one of your daughters lived there. So it was a way of trying to establish the peace. So Solomon does this, and Solomon is probably thinking in his head, Well, you know, I'm the man now. I'm Solomon. All the nations want to be in allegiance with me and want to have uh, relations uh, with our countries. And so this is what you do. This is the way you do it. You sign a treaty. You trade a daughter. And this is a a positive thing. It's showing uh, we're on the map as a nation. And this is a powerful thing for me to do. But when God sent Israel in to secure the land, he said, don't do it. It may be for others, but I don't want you to do it. And why? Because those religious practices of those other wives could have an effect in which it draws your attention or your uh, allegiance away from me. You know, it greatly saddens me. I've been a pastor for way too many years. And so I have heard a lot of the justification for why somebody wants to end a marriage. Marriage and divorce. I, I, I mean, I hear about this all the time. I sat with one man who was on the edge of leaving his wife And he said, I deserve to be happy. And as much as I would try to encourage this man that he had made an oath to his wife, a pledge to God, and that he would care for his wife, and that this was a higher calling than his own happiness, he would hear none of it. I have often heard the phrase, we have fallen out of love. And I, (laughs) the statement just has a tremendous lack of understanding of biblical love. Because biblical love is one that's durable. It gives, it honors, it sacrifices. 
And it doesn't count predominantly on feelings. It's not as if feelings are insignificant, but it doesn't anchor its actions there because it realizes that as I honor my spouse, I'm in essence honoring Christ. And so again, I have far too many examples of of how this justification occurs uh, in this disobedient act in marriage of, of divorce. Of course, that is not the only area in which a small accommodation can happen followed by justification. It can happen in business. It can happen in school. It can happen in family relationships. It can happen in the workplace. It's the stealing of something perhaps from work that's the first small step. It's the fudging on taxes that might be the first small step. It's the cheating on a test that might be the first small test uh, uh, accommodation or the first small indiscretion. And there's always a justification that comes behind that. There's always something that Satan is whispering in our ear about why we should do something. Well, it's our rights. Or we deserve a break. Or, well... I could do this now and just be forgiven later. So why don't I just go ahead and do that? I'll, I'll do that now. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing that Satan wants to feed to us and he wants to feed our justification for why we're taking this step, which perhaps we know that is actually disobedient, but we're going to do it anyway. All right, here's the third one. The third stage in the dividing of a human heart is what I'm calling the snowball. It started with just one foreign wife and then it grew to two. Well, and then it grew to five, and then it grew to 20. And after a while, it's like, who cares? I'm just going to go for it all the way, and it's a 1,000. I mean, so it just snowballs. You can see how it just expands and expands and expands. When Solomon's heart took the first step, and there was no repentance, then it was easy to repeat this again and again and again. You see, sin is like potato chips. Very few of us can have just one. And so again, it's very easy to take that first chip and then to take another and another and another. And I want you to notice how this snowballs. It's just not the marriage of the foreign wives, which is the issue here. It's that they want more. And they want Jerusalem to feel like their home country. And so they tell uh, Solomon that, well, sweetheart, uh, you know, I want this to feel like home to me. I, I, I want my dad to be happy back home, but I want to feel like it's home. And so if we could just set up a little temple over there, just a small one, just a small one, it will be kind of out of the way. And then, then, then I could go worship and it would feel so much like home to me. And so Solomon listens to this and Solomon allows there to be temples or other uh, sanctuaries that are built on one of the ridges in Jerusalem. And, you know, uh, I mean, he's probably thinking the modern day uh, little phrase, happy life, happy wife. But, you know, that's not always the case of what's the right action is to accommodate that. And so something happens. Snowballing occurs. And before you know it, Solomon has got a big problem on his hands. This is the way that chapter 7 says that it occurred. If you uh, put that up, then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and from Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. Notice the two words that are used there about both of those temples. They use the word an abomination. An abomination means a wicked and disgusting thing. So the author here is saying, I mean, he went this far. I mean, he just didn't marry the wives. He just didn't even worship with the wives. But he actually set up temples to these foreign gods that was right there in Israel and in Jerusalem, the, the, the capital city. 
And he did that on one of the eastern ridges in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, there are seven ridges that form kind of that high mountain area. And on one of the ridges, he dedicated that to all of the temples of these foreign gods. And to this day in Jerusalem, that, that little ridge right there is called the Hill of Corruption as a result of this passage, as a result of that action. Some of you, if you get a chance to go to Israel one day, I hope you'll notice that. You'll look over and say, oh, Hill of Corruption. That's the spot where Solomon built all those temples to foreign gods. And you'll remember this episode in history. Now is perhaps a good time to have some perspective because remember, this was God's command to Israel under Solomon, under his dad David too. And they were called to have one temple which Solomon built, David planned Solomon built, one temple and one worship of one God, Yahweh. Now again, we live today in a multicultural setting. We live in a time in which there's mosque, there's uh, other temples, there's a smorgasbord of religious activity. And as much as Solomon was called not to have any of that happen in, in, in Israel or in Jerusalem, that's not God's charge to us. God's charge to us is that we don't go burn down those things. We don't go stop, as it were, those buildings from happening. We also are able to have friendships with individuals who are of those other faiths. Here's where the dividing line is. We cannot go with them, however, in worship. We don't, we don't join them, and we don't practice that with them. And so there's some overlap in this passage. As much as, as Solomon couldn't even entertain, actually, the marriage of them and certainly couldn't build those buildings, he also obviously was not called to worship with them either. But ours is a little more subtle. The church is meant to be an agent in which we infect all of the nation around us, and we proclaim the goodness of Christ. And many times we're doing that with individuals who don't know Christ, obviously. And so there is an overlap in the passage and a, and a practice for us, but we need to understand God had a different plan, as it were, for Solomon than he necessarily does for us, at least in the practical uh, aspect of those temples. Here's the point. Solomon arrives at the spot where he can't put the brakes on it. It's all spiraling out of control, and there's one more step I want you to see. The fourth step is the saddest of them all. It's the result of what happens 100% of the time when our hearts become divided and we no longer have allegiance to God. That is that we have a loss of intimacy with God. I didn't read this verse. It's the very next one. It's verse number nine. And I have it up here for you. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. And so think about that with me. God had been so gracious that he'd appeared to Solomon two times and he'd spoken with him and Solomon was enjoying this intimacy with God and it was a beautiful, beautiful thing and his heart becomes divided and more divided and more divided and pretty soon his heart is cold and Solomon has lost the joy of his salvation. He's lost the feeling of closeness with God He's lost this time where God comes and speaks to him and guides him as the king and as a follower of God. Solomon is lost. And Solomon ends up in this state of being spiritually distant and cold. And if you play this out, you play it out, this is where it always ends, is that there is this spiritual disconnect. There's a spiritual coldness that occurs and that ends up being a very sad thing, especially for those of us who have tasted closeness with God and we know what that feels like. 
Today, we have explored that a divided heart leads to an av- a divided allegiance to God, and we've discovered that happens in four steps. There's the small accommodation, there's a justification, there's a snowball as it goes out of control, and finally, there is the loss of intimacy with God. And all of us are only a step away from having a divided heart. Some of you today say, I've already been compromised. I already know that's where I am. And if that's you today, I've got great news for you because we serve a God, we serve a Lord who is ready to welcome back. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to receive. This is all he requires, repentance and confession of what's wrong, a confession, a confession of what has stolen your heart and the pledge of a, an allegiance to come back to God and make him first again. It's really that simple. And it's so, such a beautiful thing that God is saying, I forgive sinners all the time and I'm willing to welcome you back, but not on a very trite basis. I want you to understand what it is you've done so that we might not repeat that and go back to that again. I have a story I want to end with today and uh, Dallas Willard uh, is dead now and with the Lord and I can't wait to be in heaven one day with Dallas Willard. But he's one of my favorite theologians and biblical thinkers. He just writes so deeply but so cogently and so well. And he talks about this issue of repentance. Here's the story that he tells. He says, As I was a child, I lived in southern Missouri where electricity was available only in the form of lightning. We had more of that than we could use. But in my senior year of high school, the Rural Electrification Administration extended its lines into the area where we lived. And the electrical power became available to the households and to the farms. When those lines came to our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationship to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could be vastly changed for the better. But we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements, understand them, and take the practical steps involved in relying on it. You may think the comparison rather crude, and in some aspects it is, but it will help us to understand Jesus' basic message about the freedom of the heavens if we pause to reflect on these farmers who, in effect, heard the message, repent, for electricity is at hand. Repent or turn from your kerosene lamps and lanterns, their ice boxes and cellars, their scrub boards and rug beaters, their woman-powered sewing machines, and their radios with dry cell batteries. The power could, that could make their lives far better was right near from where they were, and it was making relatively simple arrangements that could allow them to utilize it. Strangely, a few did not accept it. They did not enter the kingdom of electricity. Some just didn't want to change. Others couldn't afford it, or so they thought. Repentance never seems easy, but it's the cost of a whole heart. And repentance, much like electricity, makes all the sense in the world once we do it. A divided heart always leads to a divided allegiance. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you give positive examples to us and negative examples. 
And Solomon's is a sad story today. And I know in a congregation our size, perhaps there are individuals that are applying this passage to themselves, but perhaps they're also applying this to someone else. And that's not a joyful or a gleeful thing. It's a sad thing to acknowledge that this happens in our world, that a divided heart leads to this a divided allegiance and people no longer place you first. Lord, you're worthy of being placed first. And we ask today that you would keep our hearts steadfast in allegiance to you. And that's through the power of your gospel. It's not a matter of us trying to grinch it out. It's a matter of us understanding who you are and the glory of your love for us, your forgiveness for us, and your desire to give us the Holy Spirit in order that we might walk in your ways. We thank you for that today, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.